0: Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball. This is the podcast where we talk about baseball 52 weeks out of the year. There is no offseason, and I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this on the 8th day of February 2018 from the campus of Whittier College in Whittier, California, the alma mater of former president of the United States and huge baseball fan, Richard Nixon. You know him being a big sports fan is probably not the first thing that comes to mind when you hear Richard Nixon's name. but with that being said, he was a a, a rabid sports fan, probably a bigger football fan than a baseball fan, but was certainly a big baseball fan and uh was would attend many Yankee games uh, towards the end of his life because it, towards the end of his life he lived in in New Jersey uh, when he retired. There's a there's a photograph of him in the Angels clubhouse because he's from Orange County he's from the you know, Southern California Orange County and he was living I believe in Yorba Linda or maybe uh, San San Clemente I can't I can't remember where it was some big town down here in Southern California and there's a photograph of him in the clubhouse when the Angels clinched. The 1979 American League West title, which was the first ever division title won by the California Angels back when they were called the California Angels, and I still wish they were called the California Angels. He was a big baseball fan, he was, and um, I'm sure that's how he'd like to be remembered. He's <laughs> a big baseball fan. Uh, I've never been a Whittier before. I happen to be down here for uh, another reason, uh, for a, another professional reason. And I happen to be nearby Whittier College, and so I, I stopped by here. Lovely little campus, and I say that as you know, not in a condescending way. Like it's a little campus. It's just the I've been on several college campuses over the last few years. Washington State University, where I earned my master's degree, which is right next to the University of Idaho. Uh, I've, a lot of time at Stanford University, gone to UCLA. A UCLA, and all these are gigantic campuses, huge campuses for these universities, and this is a college, and it's a smaller college, in a small college town, it's lovely here, it's it's a pocket of California I never knew existed, I, I never knew that this would, I mean, I knew it, I, all right, I knew it existed, I just never have been here before, you know, it's a sweet college town, Nice little bungalow house. Hell, if my son said I'm going to go to Whittier, uh, who am I to complain? Hey, do you know who was born here? There are several baseball players who were born here. Um, Mark Kotze, uh, Jamie Quirk, who was a former world champion with the Royals. Anthony Reyes was a world champion with the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. Andy Echebaran, who was a great catcher for the uh, Baltimore Orioles during their great Glory days. Nomar Garcia-Para. No Nomar. This is where Nomar is from. The greatest name of any Boston sports hero, Nomar Garcia-Para. His name was totally impronounceable by anyone from Massachusetts. And it kind of, you know, look, I know he technically earned a ring with the 2004 Red Sox cuz he began the season with the 2004 Red Sox, and if you played any games the team, they gave you a ring, but, you know, he was such a great Red Sox for so long, and it kind of unraveled a little bit in 2004, which just happened to be the year where they won it. You know, you look at some of the star. I mean, the, the city of Boston has had so many great, you know, champions, you know, with the Celtics and the Patriots and the Bruins and the Red Sox, that you forget there was that big stretch of time where they couldn't win anything, and Boston had all of these, you know, false messiahs. <laughs> I, 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 please, don't, please don't be offended by that term, especially you, Ray. Don't be offended. I just mean like, the you know, the, when a superstar arrives and you hope the superstar brings championships in their wake. And you think about during that stretch when Boston couldn't win Piddly Poo. And the Celtics had, you know, they would have Antoine Walker was going to be the big star of the Celtics and Drew Bledsoe was the big star of the Patriots. And I do I know Bledsoe played on the first Patriot team, but he was supposed to be the guy to lead them to the championship and Ray Bork was going to lead the Bruins to the multiple championships. And the the Red Sox had Mo Vaughn and Nomar Garcia-Para, which is as Wonderful, a left-handed, right-handed, power-hitting, MVP-caliber combination you can have. And when you think about it, they were only teammates for like three or four years. 96, 97, yeah, three years, three full seasons of Garcia Parra and Mo Vaughn. But they were magical, and there was that sense of, oh my God, this is the combination. And Nomar just looked like that guy. He was like, in so many ways, he was like Freddie Lynn. You know, from California... It electrified the fans Had the other player that he Bounced off of the way Lynn bounced off of Rice And Put together MVP caliber numbers And was Eventually traded And was never the same player You know I know Nomar had like One really good year in LA but You know the injuries just caught up To Garcia part of the way they caught up to Freddie Lynn And yeah, you, you look and you say, God, the Red Sox world champion shortstops were um, Orlando Cabrera, Julio Lugo, and Stephen Drew, and not Nomar. <laughs> so, there is something borderline cruel about that. But here I am, I I am now looking at the town that Nomar Garcia Parra called home. This is where he was born. Hey, let's talk about something because I'm not just going to talk about uh, a situation here. I'm going to try to find a solution. There's been a lot of talk and chatter about the lack of free agent signings. Now, earlier in January, I addressed this, and I said that this was more of an issue of the free market than it is of collusion. But with many of the major players still unsigned, the chatter of collusion and the antagonism between the Players Association and the owners is heating up in a way that we have not seen since the strike of 1994 and the lockout of 1995. There is no way baseball can have a work stoppage, and both sides have to know that. There is no way on heaven or on earth baseball can survive a work stoppage. There's way too much entertainment. There was a, there was way too much entertainment in '94 compared to now. Oh my God, baseball cannot. If there is no baseball, you will you will be disappointed. I will be disappointed. The majority of the planet will shrug and watch Netflix. So, whatever issue is going on, it cannot involve labor strife. And the players can never win the court of public opinion, even when the players are right. They were right in 1994. The owners colluded. That wasn't an opinion. That wasn't a conspiracy theory. They were found guilty of collusion. And if the owners are found guilty of collusion this time around, well, then then they should be punished as well. But everything pointed in the mid-80s towards collusion. They were trying like crazy to break free agency. There was a work stoppage in 1981. There was a brief work stoppage in 1985. There was a lockout in 1990. And they were doing anything to break the players' union and to implement a salary cap. And they colluded in the mid-'80s. The commissioner of baseball was part of the collusion. Peter Uberoff and players went to free agency. Players in their prime went to free agency. Andre Dawson and Tim Raines and Jack Morris couldn't get contracts offered to them. And they were, the owners were colluding to break free agency. Now, I think this is a different situation now. And the reasons I think it's a different situation now is I think... The reason that these players are not being signed is not because of a covert agreement between the clubs to not sign them, but perhaps a groupthink. As I've said before, GMs can lose their jobs even if they deliver a world championship, if they sign players to bad contracts. The GM of the Red Sox Delivered a world championship in 2013 and was fired after 2015. And why? Because of the contracts, mainly because of the contracts of Sandoval and Hanley Ramirez. You could lose your job over this. And it could hang over the franchise. Like it hung over the Phillies, the long-term deals signed to Jimmy Rollins and especially to Ryan Howard, the unmovable contracts. I'm I'm a mere 20-minute drive from Angels Stadium in Anaheim. You think they want to dump Albert Pujols? So the idea of signing players to long-term deals in their 30s could cost a GM their job. That's one thing. Second thing, analytics are being embraced by every team, including the Phillies, finally. And the analytics show that it's not smart to sign these players to long-term deals. And you bring these, you do this analysis so you can say, "Hey, how do we avoid contracts that harbor that 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 hang over our heads?" And you do that by saying, "Well, if a player is already celebrating their thirtieth birthday, chances are their career is going to go on a steady decline." And you're better off spending that money on your own players, keeping them from walking on free agency, than you are signing a player who's 31 years old to a six-year contract. Okay? That's another part of groupthink. And what's the elephant in the room in that situation? When they were handing out huge three-, four-, five-year contracts to players in their 30s 10 years ago, 15 years ago, what was different now than then? There's PED testing now. Yeah, I'll say it. That's probably a big reason. In the past, they're still producing at a super high level. Hell, they may have a spike in production in their late 30s. Then that's a good contract. The contract for Barry Bonds was never bad because he was producing right to the end, save for 2005 when he was injured. Rafael Palmeiro was still hitting the shit out of the ball. Mark McGuire was still a big home run threat, even when the injuries were catching up to him towards the end of his career. Roger Clemens was still an MVP candidate and Cy Young candidate, deep into his 40s. Andy Pettit and David Ortiz were still highly productive players towards the end of their careers, as were Manny Ramirez. What do all those players have in common? They were juicers. They all juiced. And now you're saying, hey, players are starting to tail off in their 30s. Huh. Well, if they're tailing off, then why would I sign them to a five-year deal? Someone might, but it ain't going to be me. I'm not going to put my job on the line. You're seeing more defensive GM moves. I'm sure if Eric Hosmer wanted a three-year deal, he'd have a flurry of teams looking for three-year deals. He wants a five- or six-year deal. And teams are like, oh, wait a minute. We got a guy in his 30s who's a first baseman. There are a lot of first basemen out there. There's a lot of first basemen with power out there. And we can get them for a hell of a lot cheaper than Hosmer. Even though Hosmer might be better, he wouldn't be so significantly better to spend all that money on that. You're better off signing your own players to long-term deals. As I pointed out before, you notice a lot of the superstars are not getting to free agency because teams have figured out we're better off spending that money keeping Joey Votto. We're better off signing Mike Trout. We're better off signing Steven Strasburg. And, of course, next year you have an unbelievable free agent class that could include Bryce Harper and Clayton Kershaw. So if you're going to spend a giant pile of money on a starting pitcher and you want to get in the bidding for a starting pitcher, would you rather have it be for Jake Arrieta, who's already in his 30s, and starting pitchers can fall off a cliff, or would you rather try to sign the best pitcher of this generation? So there's all these elements that are in play that describe why there is a shortage in the free agent signing. And it must be frustrating as hell for the players who said, I'm, "It's my walk year, why am I not getting contracts?" But sometimes that's a market shift. Especially at the time when, when there's a ton of home a flurry of home run hitters, you know that's going to affect J.D Martinez, that's going to affect Eric Hosmer. that's going to affect Mike Moustakas. Because teams can say, hey, we can get a power-hitting first baseman for a third of the price of Eric Osborne and spend that money elsewhere. So not collusion. It's learning how to analyze a player's value, which teams are doing differently now than they did 10 years ago. The analytics are different, and the production of players in their late 30s are different. But teams aren't signing them. Now, I believe that there will be a crack in the armor. I believe some players are gonna wait it out. You know, eventually, like, there'll be some team that has an injury to their starting pitching staff that will sign Jake Arrieta. Some team's gonna say, oh my, there's always a team that has one of their star starting pitchers go to Tommy John surgery sometime in spring training. And that team's going to look up and say, Jesus, we can sign Jake Arietta right now. Let's do it. And I don't know what team that will be, and neither do you. I think you Darvish will eventually sign with either Milwaukee or Minnesota, or he could go back to Texas. But that will happen, and I think eventually you'll start to see some of these players sign for deals, but maybe not as long a deal as they thought they were going to. But in the past... The uh, an agent like Scott Boris always had the opportunity to get one gullible owner. There was always one owner who would who would bite, and it only took one. And you know. And sometimes it would be an absolutely bananas contract. Like, really, you're going to sign Milton Bradley to a long term deal? You know, when Pablo Sandoval was a free agent, I was basically holding candlelight vigils for the Red Sox to not sign him. And the Red Sox did sign him to a long-term deal. What we're missing is the lunatic billionaire owner who will spend money on these free agents. And we need that. I'm not just going to curse the darkness. I'm going to try to light a candle. If baseball has even the possibility of the threat of a labor strike, then we cannot sit back and allow it to happen when a solution is so easy. We need to find a crazy billionaire. A bonkers billionaire. Billionaire. And we need them to be the owner of a team and to have that team go on a free agent spending spree, bringing in Moustakis, bringing in Hosmer, bringing in Lance Lynn, bringing in you Darvish, bringing in J.D. Martinez, all of them coming to this team. And I'll tell you, I'm not even going to be, I, I don't have the billionaire, okay, I wish it was Trump. This is what I was about to say would be ideal for Trump had he lost the election, but he didn't. So, somewhere out there, there's a Trump. Somewhere out there, there is someone to own a team. And the situation here is perfect. Remember when the McCourts were running the Dodgers and they were forced out because they were. Running the team into the ground the team was on the verge of filing bankruptcy I think they did file bankruptcy at one point They couldn't make payroll This is the Los Angeles Dodgers The Dodgers And the main reason why baseball stepped in And kicked the McCourts out Was they were about to screw up their television contract But they could do that And it was for the good of the game it was for the good of the game that the McCourts came were were kicked out to the curb, and the new ownership, with the front man of Magic Johnson, but he's you know Magic, is owns the team about as much as I do. But they became big spenders and ultimately turned the fates of the Dodgers around. Winning, they they won the division title each of the first what five years of thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. So yeah, first five full seasons. Winning the pennant last year, also they went on the spending spree. So the whole idea of them being these 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 you know thrifty's were were you know no longer is no longer pertinent. Meanwhile, the Mets are still owned by the Wilbon's. the uh, team that has been swindled and still smarting. No one will say it. Everyone in the world knows it. They were swindled by freaking Madoff and since then they've not been able to operate like a big market franchise and they've been making moves as if they were the Milwaukee Brewers you have a team in New York a high profile team with a new stadium with a great television contract and should be, one of the, should be one of the absolute marquee franchises in baseball. Yes, I realize they won the pennant in 2015. I do know that. Your pal Sully is aware of it. And, and if uh, they, Familia didn't blow those saves, and Daniel Murphy didn't forget how to play second base, they may have won the World Series in 2015. But they didn't. And now they're a mess. They're an absolute mess, and no one knows what the hell they are right now. And the same ownership that got swindled and can't operate the team the way it should be is still in charge. For the good of baseball, Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball, has to find a billionaire an unstable billionaire. And insert that person into the Mets' ownership. Remember, in the early 1970s, the Yankees were just another team. They were no longer a dynasty. They were kind of an afterthought in New York because the Mets were the big team in town. They were owned by CBS. And a crazed rich man from Cleveland took over the team. Now, you may say that George Steinbrenner was a bad figure in baseball's history. I disagree. He revived the Yankees. He turned baseball into a free agent sport in a way that all the other owners weren't about to. And he said, screw it, I'll sign players. And he made the Yankees a great villain again and again and again and again. Now you have the Mets... You have the Mets are owned by the Wilpons. Get them out of there. Pull them to courts. And guess what? You sell the Mets and you may be able to pay off all your credits and your debtors. And you have your crazed, booger-eating billionaire in charge of the Mets. And he's told, your job is to sign these free agents. And that may mean that they, the contracts go to hell and they have some bad seasons. But what that also means is you no longer have the Will We avoid labor strife. Mustakas Hosmer, Arietta Darvish, JD Martinez, Lance Lynn, all these players get signed their long-term deals. Their team will be infinitely more entertaining. And we avoid a labor issue. And if the one bad point is three or four years from now, the Mets stink because they have these bad long term deals then that's a small price to pay even for Met fans because chances are the Mets are going to stink three or four years anyway and this way they'll be more interesting and will avoid labor strife that's what I want you get to solve the Wilpon problem get the free agent sign and stop all this labor nonsense and the next time the players sit down and negotiate a contract. They'll do a better job than what Tony Clark and company did the last time. But either way, we avoid. I I I don't want to have a podcast series where we're talking about the equivalent of what was going on in 1994 and 1995, where it was Selig and Sear, uh, Fear and 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 Ravitch and all those play, you know, all those people playing out. And it was frustrating for me because I felt the players were right, but nobody sympathized with them. And it was an intellectual argument, but emotionally, like, let's just come up with whatever deal we have that's going to create some baseball. And this way we avoid labor strife, we get the Wilpons out, we focus on baseball, and we go forward. The Mets aren't winning this year anyway. So let's come up with a solution. Even if it means in 2022 they're still paying for Darvish and Arietta and Hosmer and all of them. Fine! Fine! As long as we avoid labor strife, that's all I care about. It seems like a pretty simple solution. I'm not even joking. I'm not. New owner for the Bets. Your job, sign a bunch of those players and have us avoid labor strife. Boom. Players get paid. The Mets are no longer being run into the ground. The strike is averted. What part of that doesn't work? If you disagree with me, or if you think I'm just joking, write me on Twitter, at Sully Baseball, and you tell me what part of that plan doesn't work. I'll tell you, the whole goddamn plan works. Sorry, Ray. By the way, I'm here in Whittier College talking about this whole thing. Do you know what the name of the teams are here at Whittier College? It's Quaker College, so it's obviously not going to be the Warriors or something. It's the Poets. The Whittier Poets. I thought... My school that I went to undergrad for had a weak name. They were the violence. The poets. Let me tell you, when you're an athlete, nothing scarier than a poet. But with that being said, I hate poetry. I'd rather face a warrior. And I'd rather face uninterrupted baseball. I don't care what happens behind the scenes. Just make sure we have opening day through the World Series, fight all you want in the off season. get this work done, get a new owner for the Mets. And while you're at it, go to sullybaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kalisky. Coming up with solutions on the campus of Whittier College, this is Sully Baseball for the sixth day of February 2018. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Do you know what you can do? You can call me Sully.